Who are you going to call? We watched The Buttercream Gang this week, folks. This is the movie that started it all. Maybe you should tell the people who we are first. first all right. If we got... are uh, Dreams of a Better Day podcast, and we are here today to talk about, like I said, the movie that started it all. The reason why this podcast even exists is because of The Buttercream Gang. Uh-huh. And we have a special guest today. We have my brother Jordan, who's on here. Jordan, say hello. Hi, everyone. There's like two listeners, and yeah. you're one of them. Oh, so. oh, oh, oh yeah. So. <laughs> well, there's got to be more than that. Yeah, yeah so um, if you are a fan of the podcast, you've heard our intro music and the art design for the podcast, and the name of the podcast are all because of the Buttercream Gang. And so we thought it was finally about time that we watched and reviewed that movie. And this movie has a history for all of us here, because it's... It's really what got us, I think, interested in filmmaking in general, I think it would be fair yeah. to say. I, it was the first movie that I ever watched a bunch of... I, don't, I probably... Actually, this is probably the movie that I've seen the most. Even more I, than A Little Piece of Heaven. Yes. I definitely <laughs> watched this way more than A Little Piece of Heaven. I believe the first time I saw it was the summer before sixth grade. I oh, believe it was wow. the first time I saw it, and uh, it planted a lot of... Uh, philanthropic ambition in me in the context of the small town in which I live, only to have them uh, drastically dashed when I realized the uh, general the general t- pool of people I had to work with in my age group in my town. The movie is set in a little town called Elk Ridge, yeah. Utah. Utah. Is yeah. it actually yeah. in Utah? Or yes. Is that I've done okay. my homework All on right. this, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Where to begin? I just, so much. To so say. it starts. So there's this gang called the Buttercream Gang in this town. They they're all meeting at their their treehouse. The gang has a treehouse. It's not a very big gang. There's four people total, and one of them, whose name is Pete, is moving on to bigger and better things in Chicago. He has an aunt who has two little boys, and she her we don't know if she's divorced or if her husband's deceased, or you know we don't know where he is or where he ever was in the picture. But he has been called upon by his aunt to go so he can set, like, a good example for her little boys and help her take care of them. And so the gang has a surprise send-off for Pete, which isn't the first... This is not the only time in the movie that there's some kind of weird surprise We'll get to that. Yeah, and we're going to get to that. (laughs) But they send Pete off to Chicago with a bunch of, like, bulls, bears, and white Sox memorabilia so that he can... Fit yeah. in in yeah, Chicago. As, yeah, as Eldon, one of the members of the gang, puts it so he can uh, fit in with the natives. But, you know, the funny thing is in this movie, sorry to go mm-hmm. on a sidebar no. here, but every, I swear every sports team imaginable, you see them <laughs> They're wearing all represented. Uh, <laughs> off the top of my head, I can think of the San Francisco 49ers, the Chargers who are now in Los Angeles but were in San Diego at the time, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Cleveland Indians. Yeah, the Cleveland Indians. Notre Dame. Uh, Georgetown. Notre Dame. Yeah. And I, it's like every scene, anytime anybody changes clothes, they had a different team. Like, I don't... It is really weird. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think what might be going on there is like in certain African towns where like when a, a team loses the Super Bowl and they produced all of that material for them having won the Super Bowl and then they sell it to some third world country. Perhaps Elk Ridge is like the third world country of American sports where like all of the leftover junk is just sold to them. That is true because all of their Little League teams are named after Major League yeah. teams oh, and they true. wear the same colors and uniforms as those Major League teams. So it's oh, the yeah. hand-me-downs of AAA yeah. sports teams. Yeah. Let's talk first about... So the Buttercream Gang is made up of four members, like you said. We have Pete Turner, who's going to Chicago. We have Eldon Flowers. We have Lanny's... Glenn. Lanny Glenn. Lanny oh, Glenn. Thank you. Thank you. And we have Scott... Carpenter. Carpenter. Carpenter right? Not the astronaut. So those are our four... The four... Pr- pr- well, the four main characters of the yeah. movie, we'll say. And they are, as you said, sending off... Their friend Pete to Chicago, where he's going. And Pete, as his last act of the leader of the Buttercream Gang, appoints Scott as the new leader, just as he's getting on the... Or no, he does this at the Treehouse. Yeah. Uh, he, he appoints Scott as the new leader of the Buttercream Gang. And the Buttercream Gang just does good deeds. Yeah. That's what kind of gang they are, right? They, but, but in an interesting foreshadowing of things to come, not to spoil here, uh, Pete reminds Scott that essentially that... Being a butter creamer is as much recreational as it is philanthropic. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Scott needs to lighten up. He's a bit. Uh... He's just a very serious young man. Yeah. Yeah. So Pete goes to Chicago, and he and he and uh, Scott have uh, letter correspondence. And at first, they send letters back and forth, and they just let each other know how like straight it. edge they are. Yeah. Basically, it's just exposition. Yeah. I'm doing well in school. Yeah. I'm getting straight A's. Yeah. Aunt Marie makes good spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but then these letters start to uh, peter off, and we Pete. oh yeah, <laughs> and we see uh, Pete as he's with his Aunt Marie, is just generally disinterested in the letter Scott sent us because in his last letter, he lets Scott know that he met some quote-unquote neighbor kids and they mostly just hang out at the quote-unquote arcade. And um, These kids happen to be go by the name of The Blades. The Blades. And th- this is the first time I ever watched this movie that I realized that his gang had a name. Yeah. And I did look up if there was actually a gang called The Blades in Chicago, but I couldn't find any information to verify whether or not this I'm, gang is based on a real gang. I'm sure there would have been a lawsuit filed by them against <laughs> Feature true, yeah. Films for Families. <laughs> the Blades be Feature Films for Families. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And so Pete starts, you know, hangs out with the wrong crowd. And Scott, there's one last letter Scott sends him asking him how, he, how he's going. I haven't heard from you. What's going on? And it cuts to a scene of Pete walking down. A, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a dark and stormy night. And Pete's walking down this alleyway. And he's calling for his gang members. There's Steve and I Lauren. Want s- I want to say that's the only name we actually hear. Oh, okay. He's, yeah. So he, he's calling for Steve. And he, he, he says, guys, where are you? And then we hear an, a glass break and an alarm go off. So the gang has stolen something. I think one of them, as they run down the alley, has like uh, something in his, his arms. And then on either side of the alley, uh, cop cars pull up. Yep. And then They've been, uh... we, we cut back to Elk Ridge, but there's still a like voiceover scene of he and the gang getting arrested. Yeah. So Pete has been hanging with the wrong crowd, yeah. to say the least. It's kind of a slow beginning. Yeah. Where 
What what happens next though? I th- after this, I think it's just pictures of small town life with Scott Carpenter, and then we cut back to Chicago. Yeah, and uh, Pete's with his gang, and this is the first like close up that we get of who his gang is. <laughs> There's a guy in a beater a bandana. There's a guy with a cowboy hat. A cowboy hat. With and a bandana around with the a, cowboy yeah, hat. With a bandana and, yeah, with a bandana. Yeah, and we're, just so the audience understands, we're talking act- We're not talking about a Dallas cowboy's hat. We're talking yeah, yeah, like yeah, an right. actual yeah. real no, cowboy yeah. hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and one of them has like a hat on backwards. And, and they all are wearing baggy pleated khakis. <laughs> Everybody in this movie wears... But all the like gang the, members. Yeah, the, the bad guys wear pleated khakis. <laughs> and all the good guys wear rolled up jorts. <laughs> it's a, a common theme throughout the whole thing. It was thing. the 90s. Yeah, and even at the beginning, Pete has a pair of jeans on, right? And then, then he just wears pleated khakis. Yeah. The whole Although time. Pete was also wearing a cardigan at the beginning of the movie. That's too, true. So. And With a, a turtleneck? purple teach. I think a purple turtleneck. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, just the decline, the tragedy of his character going from cardigans and turtlenecks to pleated khakis and button downs with just the top button yeah. buttoned. Clearly, he has yeah. gotten into some major trouble. In in one of those in between sequences, though, but in between the Chicago Adventures of Pete, we have this scene where they're all playing baseball, and the minister, who we know is a minister because while they're playing baseball, he's wearing a clerical collar, Yeah, is the coach of the team, and they're all practicing for the upcoming baseball season, I believe. And one of the, the girls from the neighborhood rides up on her bike. It's Scott's little sister. It's, it's Scott's little sister. Rides up on her bike, and she's like, guys, guys, the Widow Jenkins has fallen down again. And so Scott and the two other buttercreamers, you know, throw down their baseball gear and head off to help the Widow Jenkins. And we have one of those odd moments in this movie where the baseball coach, who is also the pastor Mm -hmm. in the the church, uh, is wondering what's going on. And they say, I think Scott says that there's something more important to do or something like that. And the minister says, what could be more important than baseball? (laughs) Yeah, and the, the and Scott's sister yelled very loudly. <laughs> the Widow Jenkins has fallen. Yes, down. so everyone in the general, her general radius should be totally aware of what's going on, but I guess the minister didn't hear what she said. Because well, you would think if he heard, he understands the situation, and he wouldn't have like asked them where they were going. Well, I guess there was um, a bit of an intent on the the director's part to establish an air of above the rest altruism on the part of buttercreamers. Yeah. yeah. They're just a step above. <laughs> or this guy just really likes baseball. Yeah, because he d- he only wears his collar when he's coaching baseball. It's like a metaphor for what his, his uh, yeah, true service when, to God When they have any is. scene in the church when he's preaching, he's just wearing a tie. Yeah. That's interesting. Anyway, so they go to rescue the Widow Jenkins, and that's uh, Scott, Eldon, and Lanny go to... Is it Lanny or Lenny? I'm never clear Lanny. on that. Is it Lanny? Lanny. Okay, that's okay. what I thought. Lanny, go, they all go to help the Widow Jenkins by getting a rope and going into her house and helping her out, which... Yeah. You know, they're, they're good. They're do-gooders. Yeah. Who are you going to call? The Buttercream Butter. Gang. And so they, they get into the house, and they you know pick her up off the floor, mm-hmm. and then she has them go to... 
the grocery store to pick up Mr. some... Mr. Graff's. Yeah, Mr. Graff's uh, grocery store to pick up some things that she needs. The, the most prominent item I saw was big red gum. Yeah, <laughs> and, a, and a pound bag of sugar. Yeah, it was, it was a pound of sugar <laughs> and a... Not like a couple packs of Big Red. It's like the whole carton of Big Red yeah. gum. That she's yeah. a pack a day. Yeah, she gets a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they get these uh, items. And uh, with the Widow Jenkins make sure to tell them that they can use the change to buy treats at the store. Which, this is, there's a couple things here. One is this movie calls... All kinds of like sweet or savory or drinks. special or drinks. They always use the word treats, like treats. Even like tough guys when they're talking about <laughs> like hanging out, they say, "Let's go to the store and get some treats." It's very strange. Yeah, it, but it comes up multiple times. Mm-hmm. But this also establishes Eldon as um, a, a gourmand. He loves food. <laughs> he is always talking about food, and it's weird because they're trying to establish. So this reminds me. Sorry for interrupting. This no. reminds me of our fireproof episode. Caleb is hungry. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> so Eldon loves food. Yeah, he That's... does. <laughs> and he's constantly referencing whether he's hungry or if they need to motivate him, they promise him treats. Yeah. <laughs> they basically treat him like a dog because they're setting Eldon up in the story as like the gang's. The fat, fat kid. The fat kid. Yeah. But what's so ridiculous <laughs> about this is that Lanny has much more, like... He's definitely the he's largest. definitely the, the larger, game. just has more, like, just a more, uh, he's more pudgy. Just, like, the way his facial features are. And, but for some reason, they, they the movie keeps, like, time after time, tries to tell you that, no, 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 no. To forget about what you're seeing in the flesh, Eldon is the fat one. Yeah, well, and sometimes even more than Pete's gang association, it's El- Eldon's uh, per- uh, propensity for gluttony is what is most likely to compromise the <laughs> yeah. buttercreamer's uh, altruism. Yeah. He's the thwart. The yeah. thwart. What, what's interesting about that is that Eldon, like... Even though he is a bigger guy, he's definitely wearing the husky jeans. Mm-hmm. He carries the weight really well. Like, he doesn't look fat. He no. just looks like he's built. Yeah. Lanny looks like he could lose a few. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's so strange. They just... <laughs> it wouldn't yeah. have been hard to make Lanny into Eldon. Like, just give him the, the fat kid lines. Oh, yeah. They really... They feed a hungry horse. Or a full horse. <laughs> uh, Why does feed a go? fed horse. Feed a yeah. fed horse here. <laughs> uh, by just constantly reminding you that like Eldon's the fat one Eldon's the fat one yeah. yeah and so they they get their treats and then Eldon wants a snow cone remember he like they get out and he's like he's chowing down on uh, I think treats yeah the treats <laughs> he's just chowing down on treats and he's like hey you guys want to go get a snow cone as he's shoveling food into yeah, his just mouth. yeah <laughs> And so um, they take the stuff to Widow Jenkins, and then throughout all these scenes, they are also wondering, like, where Pete is and how he's doing. They run into Pete's grandfather, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Turner, and they ask him how Pete is. Have you heard from him? Mr. Turner's like, sorry, I'm late. I got to go. And he just leaves. He doesn't give them any information. And then they decide to go to Mr. Turner's house. Well, we should talk about what actually happens at the scene where Pete and his gang are confronted by 
Aunt Marie. We, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't think we mentioned that. That yeah. happens before they run into Pete's uncle. Oh, yeah, that's right. Grandfather. 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 Thank you. Um, so we find out in the Chicago scene, cut to Chicago, Pete and his gang member friends are walking up to Aunt Marie's house. And Aunt Marie is standing outside with a suitcase and she lets Pete know that he's been expelled from school. And this is where this movie captures gang language, like the dialects and the vernacular of gangs really well. Yeah, for sure. Because one of Pete's, or no, Pete says, uh, bust out guys, right? (laughs) Yeah. And then one of Pete's gang member friends is like, you're busted. And then Pete says, hang loose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, it's, it's a pretty gritty, realistic, yeah, a gritty depiction of uh, sh- Chicago street life. Yeah, in the nineteen nineties. Yeah, and so Marie is like, "Hey, I told you to come here so that you could help, you know, be a good example to my kids, and now they want to be in a gang just like you. So I'm moving you back to Elkridge." Yeah, and so she has his suitcase and a bus ticket ready for him to go, yeah. and just says, "Okay, see ya." And so. Pete goes back to Elk Ridge, and... So the, the the way we're reintroduced to Pete is when they are that going to Pete's Yeah, so they see him, and then they go by Mr. Turner's house, and they say, Mr. Turner, are you home? And then they hear a voice back from the kitchen, which is Pete's voice, and so they all run in all excited. And they find Pete sitting at the kitchen table, and like the shot is like... It kind of like moves like around the corner, so you do not see Pete until like the other characters see him. And he is... Eating peanut butter out of the jar with a knife. And he's just like... He has his feet propped up on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a red bandana on. <laughs> a baggy yellow button-down shirt with just the top button buttoned. And baggy pleated khakis. And he's just like, hey guys, long time no see. And... I tell you what, if uh, eating peanut butter straight from the jar off a knife is a sign of gang affiliation, I'm a total felon. <laughs> That is... <laughs> so, parents listening to this podcast, catch the warning signs early. Yeah. Eating peanut butter right out of the jar with a knife, you need to be prepared for yeah. gang activity in your home. And baggy pleated khakis, forget yeah. about it. There, It might be too late. Yeah. So, one of, one of the kids, I forget which, comments on Pete looking different. Yeah. And what does Pete say? In what? Room? You mean the, the new threads? Pretty cool, huh? You like them? <laughs> Yeah, so again, threads. Yeah. Another, he's, you know. He's clearly streetwise. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lots, just lots of street smarts. Really just kind of, you look at a guy like him and hear threads, yeah. you, you know, hands off. You don't want to mess with a guy like that. Yeah. yeah. He's a uh, rough and tumble kind of character. Yeah. And so then they go to the graph store with Pete to hang out. Yeah. But he was like, you guys want to hang out? Go to graphs, get some treats. <laughs> yeah. And so they go to the store, and Pete goes in telling Mr. Graff that he's looking for shoelaces, and he goes, like, back wherever the shoelaces are. And Scott, Lanny, and Eldon go wait outside because they get soft drinks, and they're not allowed to drink the soft drinks inside. Eldon forgot that because he was so thirsty. Yeah. Gluttonous pig. And so then... Scott peers into the window and watches Pete come back around to Mr. Graff. They talk briefly, then Pete comes out. And then right in front of the store, brandishes treats out of like he had them in his belt under his big yellow collared shirt with just the top button buttoned. And he starts tossing the treats. He's like, one for you, one for you, and one for you. Mm -hmm. And like right outside the store, 
like he didn't even wait till you know they're like a block away to to distribute these treats. Yeah. He just starts throwing them around right in front of the door of the store, and then uh, Scott is concerned because he knows that he saw Pete not pay for them. And he also told Mr. Graff that they didn't have the right shoelaces because Pete was looking for some neon ones. Another gang warning sign. Yeah. Neon shoelaces. Yeah. Um, and this is this brings up another consistent theme throughout the movie, which is Pete is really bad at being a criminal. Oh, like, yeah. When he's walking out of the store, having stolen the stuff, he's like holding his stomach. Like oh, he's you can so t- shitty. Yeah. You can tell he's clearly walking out with things underneath so his clothes. So shitty. And then when he goes out the door, he does one of those cartoonish, like devious yeah, palm He literally rubs, rubs his yeah. hands together. Yeah. He may as well have been cackling as well. Twirling his Leering. Yeah. yeah. And so Scott's concerned, and that night he talks to his dad saying, I think I saw, um, I think Pete stole some treats from Mr. Graff today. And Scott's dad, you know, gives him a bit of, you know, a dad spiel. But then when Scott suggests that maybe Pete was in a gang, his dad admonishes him, real gangs are real dangerous. So be careful. Yeah. Well, one other thing from that same conversation that occurs that I feel like was it was something that we were told as young, like little kids, but it's one of those little kid advice that turns out to be totally wrong is the dad says, well, you're not judging him by the way he dresses, are you? And I'm just thinking, well, sometimes, I mean, (laughs) sometimes it's appropriate. Pattern identification (laughs) is a fairly... uh, foundational human instinct yeah. so the, it's it, kind of important for our survival oh here. yeah the cliche don't judge a book by its it, cover is actually not a true if adage. i see a book with a, a woman dressed in victorian garb and a shirtless guy with a six-pack i know exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly really. what that book is going to be about <laughs> i do judge that book by its cover yeah. so in this case Scott's dad's advice may not have been the best. It, and it turns out to be wrong. Yeah. In but, fact. But he is right in acknowledging that real gangs are real dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And he does... I appreciate Scott's dad throughout this movie. Yeah. Because he typically gives fatherly advice. And he's, yeah. you know, he's trying to help his son out in making right decisions and not being judgmental towards people. Yeah. So I'll, I'll cut him a break here. But yeah, yeah the, don't judge him by the way he's dressing. We're talking... Uh, button-down shirt, only buttoned with the top button. Pleated khaki, baggy pleated khakis. The desire for neon shoelaces. Bandana. Bandanas. These are all obvious gang signs, so warning flags should be going up at this point. Yeah. Then Scott goes up to his room. Oh, yeah. That's the same night. He goes up to his room, turns on his lamp, and who should be in his bed but Pete. Pete Turner. Pete snuck into the house. Actually, it's not Pete Turner anymore. He's going by Pete Valdez. Oh, because it's his mom's name. Yes. Yeah. So he changed his name to Valdez when he was in Chicago. And so Pete Valdez is lying there on Scott's bed. And like Scott's not startled at all. Yeah, this is the first weird thing about the interaction. But then Pete manipulates him into thinking that uh, he's sorry about stealing the, the treats and yeah. that he, he like, picked hey, up. Thanks a, for being cool about that. Yeah, I picked up a lot of bad habits in Chicago, and you know I'm trying to change and clean up my act. Mm-hmm. And so Scott looks a little suspicious, but then Pete changes the subject because Pete has this reputation for being very good at mimicking commercials. I get yeah because uh, they scared. reference it a couple times about how uh, Pete will cheer you up. He'll, he'll just... That's his thing, is he 
just does, does commercials. Yeah, recites commercials. This is like his shtick. Maybe, although this wouldn't make sense. I was gonna say maybe Pete's grandfather was like the only one in Elk Ridge with a TV, so the only way they got their commercials <laughs> was through Pete. But that doesn't really make sense because Pete's grandfather isn't the kind of guy that has a TV. No, yeah. So I'm not clear on why, but Pete is known for his ability to recite commercials. And one specifically at a baseball practice, uh, well, the practice before they go help the widow Jenkins, uh, they reference like their favorite commercial that Pete mimics. It's that old Pepsi commercial. Who was it? it? Ray Charles was in that or something. It's like him singing, yeah. "You got the right one, baby." Uh huh, uh huh. And so that's like a recurring chant. But I guess that was the favorite commercial that that Pete would do yeah. back in uh, the good old days. So. Scott is still a little wary of Pete, even though Pete yeah. makes this promise, but he decides to trust him, you know, doesn't want to judge him by the way he dresses or, you know, trying to b- just believe that uh, Pete's heart is in the right place. Yeah. But, oh, uh, Scott's sister it, throughout Overhears the movie the conversation. Is, is always snooping, always. <laughs> and so she overhears this conversation with Pete. And so then she goes and tells, who does she tell? Margaret. Margaret, who is like the... This, I guess, the love interest in the movie, yeah. sort of. She's, kind of. she's the resident nerd who later on appears to have had feelings for Scott. Yeah. Um, Scott didn't know any, notice her because he said repeatedly, didn't see you there. Yeah. So it's obvious, and we'll get a little more into how that subplot develops. Yeah. The, the night that Scott, Pete visits Scott, the commercial that he references mm. is about an old lady who has fallen and can't get up, which I remember that commercial. Well, that w- the movie was made in 92, which yeah. I think was probably yeah. right around when that first came out. Yeah, I, mm. I, I vaguely remember that commercial. But it's interesting because one of the things that the Buttercream Gang is known for doing is helping old <coughs> ladies who have fallen and can't get up. Yeah. So here we have Pete kind of making fun of the thing. It's making a total mockery of the Buttercream Gang's work. Yeah, their ethic. Yeah. So we we see signs even early on that Pete has changed. Yeah. So what what comes next? So uh, Scott's sister goes to Margaret. Yeah, and she tells Margaret that, oh boy, Pete was in a gang. And so Margaret admonishes Scott's little sister, well... What's Scott's little sister? Is it Regina? Yeah. Regina. She admonishes admonishes Regina to go gather up her little friends so that they can spy on Pete. Spy on Pete. Yeah, just to get hard evidence that Pete is, in fact, in a gang. And then we cut to the scene where he recruits... The Elk Ridge chapter of the Blades. Yeah. And you can't hear what they're saying, so it's really unclear. But yeah. it's it's one of these things that I see in movies a lot, but probably especially in, well, these types of movies yeah. a little more often, is the bad people have, like, an ideological devotion to being bad. Yeah, so right. <laughs> yeah. So the way that Pete, so what, how does yeah. he pitch them? I wonder. Yeah, but that's what it is. We see him. He's hanging out outside of the school as school lets out, and he's you know eyeing up everybody that comes out, like you know scoping out like who could be a member of the Blades. And then he sees these two guys like they like push another kid all yeah. the way out of the yeah. classroom. So they they show a predilection towards violence, and so <laughs> Pete you know is like okay yeah those are the ones, and so he goes up and stops them, and then takes them to a remote barn 
which I don't know why they went with him because you would think it looks like he's going to kill them. Yeah. But he takes them to this remote, like abandoned barn, and all, there's a song playing in the background, so you don't hear any of the dialogue. But what it's does just, he give them when they're in the barn? Treats. Yeah, he just oh, hands them treats. treats. Again. He lures them to the barn with the promise of treats. The fellowship of the treats. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This sounds like what a kidnapper would do. Like, hey kids, you want some treats? Yeah, this is probably the kind of thing that Kirk Cameron would have done in A Little Piece of Heaven. (laughs) Like, Pete is using... Kirk tactics yeah. to He's to start from his the game. Cameron playbook here. Kids, exactly. Do kids like treats. Yeah. I have a whole freezer in my house full of treats. <laughs> and so he he they they go into this barn and Pete's giving a pretty rousing speech. I don't know if he's. I it's very short. I don't know what he tells them, but in the middle of the speech is when he. Again, brandishes yeah, treats, treats and throws the treats to these. Unless they, it was things intended to be thrown, like at windows or something. Maybe, but I'm pre- I, think I think it was they were treats. treats. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he gives them the treats, and he's 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 giving a pretty big speech. Like he's waving his hands around, and I I guess giving them like the the very brief lowdown on what it means to be in a gang and the blades specifically. Yeah. The, the rules and ideals of the blades. Because later in a, a crime montage, we see them spray painting blades on doors and walls and stuff. In addition to smiley faces. Did you notice that? <laughs> they either write their gang name or they draw smiley faces. And they also, one of their favorite things to do is go down to the railroad tracks and break glass bottles. Which, that's like, the or, movie... Or drive slowly on their bikes in front of uh, cars that want to get yeah, past. But, like, the the main point the movie tries to get across is, like, they're bad because they they break bottles on the railroad tracks. And, I well, mean... And spray paint things. And, yeah. And but it's, make people late for things. Yeah. So it's a lot of, one, inconvenience. Yeah. One of them... Is, is actually vandalism. Then the other one is totally arbitrary. <laughs> like, but everybody who, because then uh, Regina and her friends are spying on them and they're watching them, you know, break glass. Oh, but they oh on the playground they take oh, yeah. these two little girls off the seesaw and they get on the seesaw. <laughs> yeah. it's, and it it shows leading up to that. There's moms on the playground, so yeah, it's just saying the, the blades reign of terror yeah. in small town USA. This is one of the issues that we've talked about with a bunch of these other Christian family movies is they always want to have these bad characters, but because it's a family movie, they can't actually show them doing anything really right. bad. Right. Yeah. The ex- um, I don't know if sorry to cut you off. I don't know if this is pertinent for um, our listeners to know, but one distinction between most of the films that we that have been done on this podcast so far have been, I think, evangelical. This this was made by a Mormon. Yeah, yeah and I don't right. know how significant of a difference that really yeah. makes. But. So, Friendship's Field was also done by Mormons. Oh. Yeah, same director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like there was another one that was done by Mormons too, but I forget which one it was. And then some of them have just been generically family movies, like yeah. A Little Piece of Heaven mm-hmm. and On Our Own. So there there've been. These sort of like the explicitly Christian movies and then the sort of family oriented movies. Yeah. Now I think this fits more into the latter one. Right. Yeah. Makes sense because it's a Mormon production. They're yeah. not, they do a lot of that family, family centered type stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so they can't show them actually doing anything bad. Which, but it totally destroys Scott's dad's warning because you're supposed to think, oh, maybe Pete's dangerous, but everything they show him doing is like kind of harmless. Pretty harmless. Yeah. But I guess you have to think like, 
you're in Elk Ridge, Utah. What are you really going to get up to? Right, yeah. Like maybe there's a meth dealer nearby, probably. Can't show that. So That's I like true. to think like the in my mind as I'm watching the movie, the gang montage scene, I just replace it with like what I think Bruce Nybar, the director, wanted to show, hmm. which is like them doing drugs and selling drugs and beating up people and yeah. you know doing real gang things. Yeah. So if you if you imagine that during the montage of them breaking bottles at the railroad tracks, then you can see how it might seem like they're a real gang. But as it is, they're really just kind of doing things that kids mm-hmm. do on Friday nights. Yeah. So Regina's little friends report back to Margaret and let her know that uh, Pete. You know, it, well, just the blades are causing mayhem all over Elk Ridge. And so Margaret then goes to Scott um, and tells him, you need to confront Pete about this. You need to stand up to him. And he's like, okay. And then she also says, well, why does he, she, uh, Scott owes her a favor yeah. because she let him, she let him come walk over to school after hours with her. So he could borrow her report on gangs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because earlier in the movie, she says that she wrote an extra credit report on gangs. In Chicago. In Chica- specifically in Chicago. And so, which that's weird because it's it's in Utah. Like, I can understand if it, they were like in Michigan and they wanted to, or like yeah. uh, Illinois and wanted to, and were writing about like, it's sort of the equivalent of I was in school, like giving a, a report on Pittsburgh gangs. But for some reason, she's giving this report on gangs on the other side of the country well in fairness i think chicago has always in particular had a reputation for gang activity so that kind of makes sense okay i I see what you're saying yeah fair enough so all that to say margaret tells scott you owe me a favor and you need to stand up to pete but then she's like well don't forget about the favor and he's like i thought talking to pete was going to be the favor she's like no that's just the right thing to do i margaret is rather sly. Yeah. And so she says, no, the favor is to take me to the dance. She's a little bit of a manipulative person. Yeah, for sure. And so she says, uh, you know, pick me up at seven and don't be late. And so now Scott has to take her to the dance, which he doesn't really want to do. An eighth grade graduation dance. Yeah. And so, but while they're at the dance, yeah. Well, no, we should talk about what happens before the dance. Okay. In particular, at Margaret's front door. Oh, yeah. The porch. Uh, so Scott arrives. He's dressed up kind of snazzy. He's got a... He has a suit on, or is it just a shirt and tie? Anyway, just a shirt and yeah, tie. He's, he's dressed up more than he would have normally dressed up. And he is at the, the door waiting to pick up Margaret to walk to the dance with her. And he's sitting on the porch, swinging, waiting, and Margaret comes out. And throughout the first what quarter of the movie i think we've been about so far margaret has always appeared to be kind of mousy i think is the best word to use she's got glasses she's got her hair real tight she's wearing like the clothes she wears are all kind of like um she dresses like an elementary school librarian yeah yeah all right so she's 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 not it's a common trope in movies where there's basically a girl who's they're trying to make her appear unattractive to the protagonist yeah but then when scott you know is waiting for her to come out she comes out uh for the dance and she does not have her glasses on yeah and he realizes oh she's kind of good looking yeah and so they're walking to the dance and Margaret's asking him these weird like kind of baity questions yeah and then typical yeah typical margaret and so Scott answers, he's answered them honestly. I mean, he's, like, <laughs> he's answering very yeah. honestly. 
Because, like, one of the questions she asks is, like, uh, why did you want to take me to the dance? Which, one, yeah. you you made him yeah. do that. Yeah. Two, the answer Scott gives is fantastic. Well, remember on the porch, her mother says it was so sweet of you. Oh, oh, you Margaret yeah. said you stopped by and asked her to the dance. So she's <laughs> telling blatant lies yeah. about and, But it. the movie doesn't address that as some kind of bad. Yeah. But literally, like, Margaret is lying to her parents. I mean... I feel like that's kind of a, a silly thing, though. Like, she got this guy to ask her out to a dance, which technically he did, sort of, because she made him, but still. Actually. I don't miss middle school. I don't miss middle school. <laughs> She's playing all the right moves here to yeah. get what she wants. Anyway, Scott's answer to the question, why did you ask me, which again, because you forced me to, would have been also an honest answer. But he says, or no, why do you want to take me to the dance? He says, I never realized how good you looked before or something like that. Oh, yeah. You just, you, uh, I didn't realize how pretty you were or something. <laughs> yeah, something very... Or I've never seen you look this good before. <laughs> yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. Basically, an extremely shallow guy answer. Yeah. But he just owned it. He was like, I've never seen yeah. you look good before. And then she asked, are you embarrassed to go to the dance with me? And he was like, well, kind maybe of. a little. <laughs> <laughs> but they get to the dance. There's this super cool Australian DJ that's I don't know why he's in his career in rural Utah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This might be his first gig ever. <laughs> but then he he tells everyone that he's gonna slow, you know, play a slow song. So then Margaret wants to dance with Scott. Scott's reluctant, but they go out on the dance floor. Even uh, Lanny and Eldon get uh, partnered with. off. And they get they start dancing very slowly. But then Pete, or, sorry, the Blades are outside of this this dance. Just kind of like black leather jackets, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. This is very yeah on a summer evening. <laughs> yeah, so they they're wearing their their leather jackets and they're just kind of like being shady right behind some people sitting there. So it's like, how did they not get noticed? Yeah, but then they 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 sneak off a few feet away from the the pavilion where the dance is. They light a firecracker and then Pete throws it at Scott and Margaret's feet. And it goes off, it scares everyone, and then Scott catches the blades running away, and so he runs off after them. They don't run very far though, they just run back to that little like crate. It looks like a it looks like it looks like a setup where they were like playing poker or something. It's like this little crate table with like stools around it and one light shining down on it. <laughs> like that's where they ran to. I guess they were hanging out there before. I don't know. But they, they run back and Scott confronts Pete and Basically, they they make they, they decide to fight each other. Yeah. The the next day yeah. at at the, the treehouse or field. the field. Yeah. <laughs> so the next day in church, the pastor preaches this. Okay, and the pastor doesn't have his clerical collar on at this point. No, he's church. wearing a Geneva gown and a tie. Yeah, and so he gives a sermon about how eye for an eye isn't is like an antiquated idea, and that that's not how you should respond to people. Just for a moment. Sidebar. The eye for an eye thing was actually like a limitation on punishments so that you couldn't like yeah, it's um actually it sounded to me like a modern manifestation of the Marcion heresy. The idea that the old and new testament <laughs> yeah. gods oh, yeah. were separate beings. <laughs> yeah. That's almost what I got from that. <laughs> but, but eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was a way of limiting punishments. So if somebody poked out your eye, you couldn't kill them. Right. It yeah. wasn't like uh, you know, get uh Get get revenge on people yeah. for what they've done to you, kind of thing. So, but but regardless, Scott, Lanny, and Eldon are convicted. Yes, and so they show up to the meeting in the field, brandishing 
a white flag. And then Pete and Scott, who are the, the leader of the Blades and the leader of the Buttercream Gang, convene alone. And Scott's trying to ask him, like, you know, why are you being this way? And But finally, Scott says, here's a challenge for you. Why don't you spend the day with me like we used to last summer? That is if you have the guts. Sorry to uh, go on another rabbit trail, but that white flag was kind of a a more general trend in the movie of the Buttercreamers doing a lot of very quirky, gimmicky things, I guess is the right way to put it. Yeah. They they do some things, like... So at the beginning, you also see them playing jump rope with these like <laughs> five and six year old girls where Eldon, the quote fat kid, yeah. does 10 jumps on the rope and then falls down and then all the little girls fall down too and they call it earthquake. Yeah, they like, just yell earthquake and they all the, fall the down. The movie's just full of these uh, yeah. gimmicks. Do you think they made up the game earthquake just for, for Eldon? Because, I don't know, when he falls, he makes the earth move. I don't know, like... <laughs> But but some of the girls doing it looked like they were like nine or ten, and I mean I get the like five yeah. and six year old ones, yeah. but nine and ten it's like you're a little old for that. Yeah. <laughs> there, so there's a couple things I wanted to to mention. The night of the dance when they run off to confront the blades over what they've done. Eldon has this great line. I, I think it's both Eldon and Larry, oh, yeah. where one of them's like, "When when we're done with you, you're gonna be toast," and then Eldon or Lanny is like, "Yeah." Burnt toast, <laughs> which is a, a great line. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're watching this, the assumption is that it's going to be a throwdown yeah. to end all throwdowns. But then they show up with the white flag because they're convicted by the sermon in church. And then Scott challenges Pete to hang out with him for a day. And the way you can tell that they're convicted in the church, I, I love that scene. Because, like, so the preacher is giving this message about not getting revenge and turning the other cheek and scott does this move where he just like leans his head back and does this huge eye oh yeah yeah it's yeah. so great because i've seen you know you do everybody's seen or had that moment in church where like yeah. all right you're preaching to me yeah <laughs> and both uh eldon lanny and margaret all kind of give scott the side eye yeah in church so we can t- we know what's happening here. Scott's convicted about the fight, but it is funny. Everyone is putting all throughout the movie all moral responsibility upon Scott. Yeah, like he's not the only buttercreamer, but he is the leader of the buttercreamers. Yeah, but all right. Well, I guess all right. Never mind. Someone's got to have the weight of the world on their shoulders. That's true. Yeah, and who better than Scott Carpenter? Yeah, really. They they Pete and Scott end up spending the day together. It's just like this montage of them fishing, swimming, jumping off a diving board, skipping stones, skipping stones uh, to the like harmonica music. It's like this really nice, like sort of country-ish music. Yeah. Then at the end of the day, uh, Scott informs Pete that Pete has once again. Uh, help Scott to forget about his worries, which normally Pete helps people forget about their worries by reciting commercials. Yeah. But this time it was just by spending the day with Pete, hanging out and having a good time. Then they get into an argument. Yeah. They, well, it starts out as kind of a conversation that turns into an argument basically about because Pete's like or Scott's like, you know, not, things are kind of like back to the way they used to be when we were friends. And Pete is like, yeah, but they're really not like he, Pete kind of gets it. This isn't going to fix the issue. There's, yeah. There's still something between them. And he, Scott wants things to go back to the way they were, but Pete's like, that can't happen. I'm different. I'm a different person now. Chicago changed me. 
And so they get into this fight about, uh, I think the, the metaphor Pete uses is it's like riding your bicycle and you're lost in the woods, I think it is. And every turn you take, you get even more lost and you don't know how to get back. And Scott says, well, you could ask somebody for help. Hmm. And Pete's like, well, who am I going to ask you? And Scott's like, yeah, I'm your friend. And Pete's like, you're not my friend. If you were my friend, you know, you wouldn't just judge me based on me being different than I was before because I'm different now. And Scott gets upset at him for that. And that brings us to the most mysterious line of yes. the whole movie that never gets resolved. Yeah. It yeah. never gets Questions resolved. Questions that we have been asking for years. And years. You never once asked me what happened in Chicago. Yeah. You never once asked me. Yeah. Think, yeah. think about that, I think is what he says. Yeah, and then Scott... That, he's on his way out. Yeah, Scott storms off and Pete delivers that line. Yeah. Which is that it's, it's never answered. We never, ever really find yeah. out what happened to Pete in Chicago. Yeah. He doesn't... It's a, it's a mystery yet to be solved. What happened to Pete in Chicago? Yeah, and... It's a fault on Scott's part for not yeah, asking. He kind of has a point yeah. at this, at this like, stage. Because you can't ignore those things if you, when you're trying to reconnect with a person. Especially, I mean, when they've gone through such, like, a obviously a life-altering experience. Mm. Scott doesn't ask, and Pete does have a point. I mean, Scott shows total disinterest for that. Almost as if, like, that has nothing to do with, with Pete because that's not who Pete, quote-unquote, really is. Yeah. I think that line is actually used. I think it's Scott's dad. Oh, yeah, or yeah, yeah, Scott, during that conversation with his dad, is like, they say something about, like, this isn't who Pete really is. Right, yeah. So they don't, it seems like they don't believe that Pete has really changed. Right, yeah. I'm not clear on that. It seems like they think he's just acting out, I guess. I, yeah. Which, in a way, he is, but. Oh, for sure. But it's definitely a fault on everybody's fault for not taking any kind of interest in What's wrong with Pete? What happened yeah. in Chicago? So that that's the, the big question that comes out of this movie is what mm -hmm. happened to Pete? And Pete also tells Scott before he storms off, in my neck of the woods, there's two types of people. There's friends and there's enemies. And Scott asks, is that a threat? And Pete says, no, it's a promise. Beautifully, and then, beautifully written dialogue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we cut to the... Basically, like the Founders' Day picnic. What do they call it? The well, set? don't forget. But the, there's a day in between which has the the baseball. Oh like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Scott, Lanny, and Eldon play for the Braves and the Red the, Sox. They play for the Red or the, Sox. the Red Sox in the Little League in their town, and they're playing the Braves in the championship game. And it starts off well. Scott's having a good game, but then Pete shows up, and he's just kind of like brooding under a tree. Kind of hiding away from everyone, just kind of heckling. Mm -hmm. And it gets worse and worse. Scott starts messing up because he's, you know, on edge because of the things that Pete's saying. And finally, when Scott has the chance to hit in a run to tie up the game or win the he game. He could take the lead. Okay. Yeah. He just, he tips the ball and the catcher uh, catches the foul ball. Yeah. And Scott runs up to the fence where Pete is and says, what are you doing? And Scott, or Pete's like, there's friends and there's enemies. Yeah. And then Scott says, cut both ways. Cuts both ways. Yeah. <laughs> and then he tells Pete's grandpa that you should send him back to Chicago where he belongs. Which, again, is extremely harsh on Scott's, <laughs> like... This, this is the guy that you said was your friend and you wanted to help him out and be friends with him. And now you're like, send him back to Chicago where he belongs. Like he's some kind of hoodlum or something like. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess if you're frustrated at him for causing you to lose the game, you could have an outburst like yeah. that. Yeah. Which 
this was clearly an outburst because the coach comes up to Scott after this unhinged Scott Carpenter moment mm. and throws him out of the game. Yeah. And then at, then the, the, they lose. Yeah, they lose. Right? They lose the game. And so Scott stays behind his kind of like uh, sitting, brooding in the dugout, reflecting on the interaction with Pete and on the game itself. Then the, the pastor, the coach, comes and yeah. asks Scott if he wants to hit a few balls blow off some steam and he tells him about Gandhi and how he used peace instead of violence to nonviolent resistance. Yeah. Basically. And then Scott gets one hit and then they're done. It's just like the whole scene is fabricated just so that the pastor can give like the, the Gandhi monologue. (laughs) As soon as that conversation's over, they're done hitting the base. Yeah. Um, And so Scott tries to take this approach now to his relationship with Pete, but the next day, on his way to the, uh, what do the they call the founders? The old, settlers, old, old settlers, settlers picnic. Oh, that's right. Uh, celebrating the founding of Elk Ridge. The Blades confront Scott on this weird, like, bike path in the middle of a field. A field and they beat him up. They beat him up, yeah. So Scott's got, like, a bloody nose and, like, a bruised eye, and he. He sees, he calls Scott or Lanny and Eldon over to him. He's sort of hiding at the picnic so nobody sees the state that he's in. And he tells them, Do my paper route for me. Yeah, to do his paper route for him. And then Scott tries to follow Pete down to the swimming hole. He's yeah. like this. And so. Because Pete, Pete tells the Blaze that he wants to be alone for a while and he's going to go hang out at the swimming hole. Yeah. And then Scott follows him along the way and then he confronts Pete. With the intention of fighting Pete, but then he remembers the Reverend's words about Gandhi, and he decides not to fight Pete. And Pete gets really upset about this because he wants no, uh, he, he wants, wants to, to sell it like they sell it on the streets. Mm-hmm. But Scott decides not to do that to take the Gandhi approach. And what and happens after Scott goes home and ta- tells his parents basically what happened. Yeah, and that's when his dad starts telling the stories about Nam. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's right. Which. I'm still a little confused about why his dad told the Vietnam story. Because it was like... I think... It, what it, So this guy he knew in, in Vietnam always wore his Christianity on his sleeve and everyone treated him terribly for it. But then he ended up dying to save someone who hated him. And I guess the night then Scott's dad relates to the night Scott was born. He held him and he understood better the concept of love that Scott Paulson had, uh-huh. and in turn how he, Scott could learn to have that type of love for Pete. So he named his son after. It must guy. have been. They never yeah. say that, but it must. Have been. I, I think that is the point. So it's kind yeah. of like I learned unconditional love from this guy. And then when you were born, I realized what that feeling was like. Mm-hmm. And uh, you should okay. have that kind of love towards Pete. Okay. So so Scott decides to take this approach. He gives Pete his bike. Yes. And Pete, the blades really start terrorizing Scott. Like he goes on a paper route, delivers his papers, and they run along behind him, pick up the papers, and put them all in a pile back at his house. Just... I don't, just an inconvenience. Just, yeah, just to prank him. Yeah. It, it worked. That was a pretty good It was a pretty good one, yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of things to terrorize mm-hmm. him. They they trash the treehouse. Yeah, there's a whole montage of... There's three... The, are there three montages in this movie? I think so, yeah. And this one, they show the Blades 
terrorizing the buttercreamers and just the town in general and then the buttercreamers just responding to like t- totally i guess in a non-retaliatory way i i think my favorite moment is when they throw the football at pete and yeah. he like catches it and like he thinks something's Regina gonna go down. gives him the oh Regina yeah, gives yeah, him yeah. the football and he thinks something's gonna go down like he looks real nervous like yeah something's about to happen and then the buttercreamers walk up to him and he's like all right we're gonna fight and then they just set up in like football formation and yeah. try to play football with him. Uh, which but Pete just drops the yeah, ball he and just leaves. Off. But it's a funny moment. Like, did they think that he was just going to be like, oh, all right, we'll play football now? <laughs> right. <laughs> I love the scene where the Blades ride their bike bikes through flower beds. That was also part <laughs> of it. That's one of the ways that they inconvenience the residents. Or, well, terrorize them really. Yeah. They terrorize the residents of Elk Ridge by like riding and skidding their bikes through flower beds. Yeah. And then the buttercreamers just come in and fix fix it. Yeah. And they steal from Mr. Graf Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. There's this constant pattern of just delinquent behavior. And the buttercreamers just respond by trying to fix or improve the situation. And it all culminates, right? I mean, what happens is Pete devises a scheme to get back to Chicago. That's pretty much what happens after, like, the... The montage of... Yeah. Pete tells the gang, that the Blades, that he wants to be alone for a while, so they leave. And then... But, yeah, where are the Buttercreamers at this point? Are, are they, they playing baseball again? They're doing something, and Scott's sister rides up. And or so, no. Or Margaret... Lan- isn't it Lanny rides up, and he's like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Margaret and Scott are doing his paper route. Yeah. yeah. And then Lanny rides up and says, you got to get to Pete's house. There's There's trouble... I left Eldon there to keep watch. Bribing him with a milkshake. Yeah, a large milkshake. And then they get back. They go to Pete's grandpa's house. And we see inside there's a guy with like Pete in like a headlock or a chokehold telling the grandpa, I want those gold coins. And his grandpa's like, all right, they're at the bank. We can go get them. So so before we get there, the, the milkshake thing. So Lanny comes up to Margaret and Scott and he's like, I left Eldon to keep watch. And they're both like, Eldon? Like, yeah. obviously he's unreliable. You shouldn't have left him there. And Lanny's like, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I promised him a large milkshake if he doesn't leave. And they're like, oh, all right, we better yeah. get there. Okay. It's kind of this weird dynamic of, oh, how can they treat Eldon like such dirt? And then like, oh, okay, well, I guess he kind of brings it on himself. <laughs> Be- but. Because when they get to Pete's grandpa's house, the first thing Eldon says isn't, you know, Pete's in trouble, he's inside. Yeah. It's, where's, where's my, my milkshake? milkshake? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Eldon brings on the, the hate a little bit. Yeah, maybe. And so Margaret <laughs> runs to get the sheriff. And the rest of the buttercreamers so, like, set up a, an ambush outside the yeah. house. So as Grandpa, Pete, and this associate of Pete's, who we later, they like walk out of the house. Yeah. Um, Scott's sister's on the roof. Yeah, because the guy has some kind of mask on. It's a nylon, like, leggings. Oh, yeah, he's like, yeah. And so the the uh, Regina takes that off of his head, and then Lanny and Scott tackle him to the ground. Then Eldon runs and jumps on this guy's stomach. But he's, he's, it's, he's still not down. He just pushes everybody off and pushes Pete away and says, how could you double-cross me? Mm-hmm. So the whole scheme... Which Pete then reveals to Scott is it was all a setup so that Pete could get money to get back to Chicago. But it's like, 
why would you need to steal gold coins? A bus ticket can't be, like, worth its weight in gold, right? But he's, like... <laughs> I'm dem- just imagining him going to the bus station like, and plopping down <laughs> gold coins. Sack of doubloons. <laughs> I'll have one ticket, please. <laughs> but then Pete is enraged, and he says, How could you do this, Scott? You ruined it. I was going to get this money, go back to Chicago. And then he just takes off running. Yeah. And Scott runs after him. We find out Pete runs to a Mr. Graff's store and grabs him by the collar and says, I need money, old man. And then Mr. Graff's like, oh, if you need money, then I'll just give it to you. Here's $274. Yeah, two, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Pete's like, you're, you're the craziest guy. You're being robbed. And he's like, well, if, if, if I just give you the money, then you're not robbing me. <laughs> it's like Pete must feel like at this moment that he's stuck like in an episode of The Twilight Zone <laughs> where he's trying to be a criminal, but nobody will let him be a criminal. And so he, <laughs> Mr. Graff is just like, oh, sorry. And then Pete's, you know, oh, you're the craziest guy. This whole town is crazy. And so he starts knocking stuff off the shelves of Mr. Graff's store. He picks up, I don't even know what, like some kind of wooden stick that Mr. Gra- Mr. Graff has a whole barrel full of wooden sticks. I, Selling them wholesale, I don't know. And so he grabs one of these sticks and just starts beating the store. He's knocking things off shelves. A a lady gets hit with a can and falls over on the ground. And then the old lady motif. Yeah. Comes back. He knocks an old lady onto the ground. Yeah. Which I guess in this movie is like the most, the highest symbol of just evil. It's like the most heinous crime. Yeah. Is not, is to knock an old lady down. Yeah. And she can't get up. Yeah, she's she's fallen. And then Pete confront or Scott confronts Pete in the store, and conversation escalates until finally Scott's like, Pete, what do you want from me? I'm trying to be your friend. And Pete just starts crying, and he's like, I want you to hate me. And then Scott's like, I can't hate you. You're my friend. Don't you see that? And Pete's just like, No! And he throws the wooden stick across the store, runs off. Well, and- no, he so. Scott's like, why do you want me to hate you? And then Pete, in over-the-top, hammy acting as this scene has kind of been devolving into, is like, because I hate myself. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then he storms out. Yeah. And and then Scott's just left there in the trash of Mr. Graff's store. He's like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then... The time passes. We see basically a whole nother school year. So I think that scene takes place at like the end of the summer. Yeah. Almost a whole school year passes. Scott gets the address from Pete's grandpa. Yeah, we find out that Pete moved back to Chicago. And again, more voiceover letters. Which, where did he get the money to move back to Chicago? I don't know. I have no idea. Because he threw the money back at Mr. Graff. Right, yeah. He didn't get the gold coins, so he didn't need this money to get back to Chicago. The whole scheme is ridiculous, (laughs) because he ends up back in Chicago. Maybe he hitchhiked, I don't know. Yeah. But he ends up back in Chicago, and Scott starts writing him letters. He tells him how school's going, how the baseball team is doing, the fact that he's grown two inches that year. And I, I don't know, just informing him of every conceivable yeah, thing that is going on. And this, this all culminates in the last scene of the movie, which is the most infuriating. It is. Because remember, we said at the beginning of this episode that there is like this weird, this movie has a weird affinity for like surprise gatherings. Scott shows up at his house after a... What is it? Is it a paper route or a baseball game? No, they're all wearing their baseball stuff, so I think it's after a baseball game. Yeah, but how did everybody... This is where it's so weird, because everybody was all coordinated and got back to his house 
way before he They're did. They're standing in his, is it the dining room? Or yeah, the like the room? den, whatever. They're all standing there, all, like two rows of people. It looks standing. like they're about to take a picture. Yeah. Every character that has been acknowledged in this movie is there in Scott's yeah. house. With very grim looks on their faces. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. So the first, I was telling you guys earlier, the first time I saw this movie as a kid, yeah. I thought the news was going to be that Pete was dead. And th- that's how they set up the whole thing. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> Margaret tells Scott that she's really proud of him and the minister is like or his no Scott's dad is like Scott I just want you to know that it doesn't always turn out this way (laughs) and then and then they say let's have uh, the reverend read this letter he probably has more experience with this every every sign points to there's like Pete is dead neon signs blinking yeah Pete is dead yeah Pete is dead and so the the reverend starts reading the letter and even the first couple lines I don't remember what the wording was but it it you could interpret that as oh yeah. Pete is dead. I saw this story in the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh Pete's Pete died in gang violence or something like that. But it turns out that Pete has changed his name back to Pete Turner because he changed it to Valdez in Chicago. He turns it back into Turner. He has started a gang in Chicago, but he's no longer part of the Blades. He has basically started another chapter of the Buttercream Gang in Chicago. And the article is about the mayor honoring Mr. Pete Turner for his do-gooder gang, which the whole scene, the whole scene, they made it look like that Pete was dead. And then they, it's like if you're the most ridiculously fabricated tension I've ever seen in a movie. If you're Scott, you have to be like emotionally traumatized yeah. by what just happened. Yeah. I would never believe any of those people ever again. Because he walks in and even he recognizes what they're doing because he's like, what's what's wrong? You know, doesn't he actually say like, what's wrong or what happened or something like that? Yeah. When he walks in. Well, and the, 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 the reverence, the first, I think the reverence, the first person to talk, he's standing with his arms crossed with a stern look on his face. He says, it's about Pete. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> Margaret's like, I'm really proud of you. Yeah. And then his dad, oh, the, it doesn't always turn out this way, son. But that's the end of the movie, right? Yeah. yeah no, yeah. The, the, the last scene of the movie is Margaret tells the Buttercreamers that uh, she thinks she should be, they should let girls in the gang now. And then she kisses Scott on, on the, the cheek. On the cheek, yeah. Yeah. And then the Widow Jenkins falls down. Yeah. And so the end of the movie is. How we started. They're helping the Widow Jenkins again with the knowledge that Pete Turner is doing is alive and well in Chicago. Yeah, and but still isn't responding to Scott's letters for whatever. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that is true. Okay, so that means this whole group was aware of what Pete was up to in Chicago and told him don't write to Scott so that when you get recognized for this work. We can let Scott know in this total... Like, Pete has to be in on this because he's ignoring every (laughs) single letter that Scott sends him. Unless Scott has been sending those letters to the address that he got, which was Pete had moved in with one of his old gang members. Some of the Blades. So maybe he's sending these letters to the Blades. Oh, okay. And Pete doesn't live there anymore. What if the Blades have put a price on Pete's head for his... (laughs) For his do-gooder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, they could do a whole other movie where like Well, the, I want to talk about that on yeah. this episode. We'll where get, like we'll the blades there. show up to Elk Ridge because they're mad at Scott. Yeah. For, <laughs> for turning Pete. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's basically That's the Buttercream Gang. The plot of the Buttercream that's, Gang. Yeah. It is near and dear to my heart. Me I love too. this movie. Oh. 
It is full of quotable lines, not because they're good, but because they're just hilarious. This is the only one of the movies that we have watched for this podcast that Ben and I have actually watched a couple times before this. Oh, yeah. This is really, this movie is kind of the basis of our friendship, even because this. (laughs) We we were acquaintances, but then one time I was like (laughs) visiting and. We just randomly. I I don't know, it came up. Yeah. The Buttercream Gang came up, and I was like, uh,. Wait, dude, you watched that movie? He's like, yeah, I did. And so Ben was living in this dingy apartment at the time, didn't have furniture, so he like set up his laptop on the floor and we sat on his floor and watched the movie on his laptop. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this and had a and had a great time. Yeah. It was like one of those moments though where you're sort of embarrassed about the thing and you want like you think the other person might be into it yeah. too, but you're not sure, so you're kinda like you want to watch the Buttercream Gang? Yeah, and then I informed you that there's there's even a, a private Facebook group that's devoted to this. Yeah, shout out to that group. You yeah. all know who you are. Yeah, and that that group has just reignited my love for the Buttercream Gang. Yeah, people Gang. are always posting quotes and pictures <laughs> and fan theories. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. I'm really impressed by everyone's memory about yeah. all the lines, yeah. all the gimmicks, all the. You don't just watch the Buttercream Gang. No, you love the Buttercream yeah. Gang. You you live the Buttercream. Yeah. Gang. Oh yeah. So yeah, that this movie I love this movie. If you were going to rate the Buttercream Gang, what would you rate it? I don't know. out of how so well, how would you rate it? Ben? I would rate it probably seven or eight large milkshakes. Seven or eight large milkshakes. I was going to say probably uh, seven butter churners. Seven butter churners. Yeah. How would you rate it, Jordan? Six snow cone machines. <laughs> six <laughs> snow cone machines. Only a six. Well, it's a gimmick. We, we, I, I think we just have way lower standards at this point because we've been watching yeah, all of these that is true. trash movies. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, just six six snow cone machines is, is fair. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, now we can talk about this briefly because I don't want to nerd out about this, but there is a sequel to this movie. Oh yeah. That so uh, we we just want everybody to know that. Uh, Dreams of a Better Day podcast does not consider the sequel to The Buttercream Gang to be canonical in any way, shape, no, or form. The Secret of Treasure Mountain, I think Yes, it took this story, these characters, and made it a real gimmicky, like, family comedy kind of yeah, thing. It's very slapstick humor. No. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's rather heretical, to be honest. Yeah, and it's just a complete Goonies ripoff. Yeah, it is. It is a Goonies ripoff. And it's not ripoff. even good. So yeah. that movie just, yeah. is not a part of The Buttercream Gang right. lore. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So let, let's get into our guiding questions. Yeah, is, was there any truth in this movie? Yeah. So, first of all, uh, I, I found it to be a pretty accurate depiction of gang life. Yeah, real gang. And we 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 you know we have touched on like the the clothes, the threads, if you will, and uh, the, the vernacular that they use. Yeah. 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 There's so, uh, yeah. Hang loose. Hang loose. Uh, Bust out. Yeah. It captures small town life pretty well. Too. <laughs> yeah, it actually, does. actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it pretty, yeah. And I would imagine that somebody who's been living in a big city, coming to a place like Elk Ridge, would feel like they were in some kind of like twilight zone. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about. I feel like you could reinterpret this movie, and maybe this will come up under one of our other questions. If if you retold this story as Pete trying to readjust from having lived yeah. in the, the city for like a year. And then coming back to small town life and like his his world has been expanded in a way that is similar to how a person who goes off to college 
spends a year, you know, reading things that they've never, ideas they've never been confronted with yeah. before, things that they've never considered before, and then they're pushed back into their old life. Yeah, there's going to be some yeah, serious changes. He's like, the story should have focused more on him. Yeah. But the problem is, the reason it doesn't make sense is because he was a total follower in Chicago oh, yeah. for bad yeah. deeds. But then he comes back to Elk Ridge and becomes a leader of bad deeds. He's kind of I, a big fish, or a small fish, or... Big, big fish in a small fish, pond. Is except small he's a small fish. It, it seems like... Oh, in make, Chicago? No, well, in Chicago, he's the small fish. But mm-hmm. then he moves back yeah. to Elk Ridge, and he's kind of the, the big fish in yeah. the small pond. There's always a bigger fish. Yeah, there is. there's some truth to that. But I, I also... Like you said, if they focus more on Pete and what he's going through and what the heck happened in Chicago, like that, there's a good story there that hasn't been told. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think there is some truth in this movie. And I like I don't yeah and I don't I think I mean the idea of acceptance. I think that's I think when I was a kid, the movie did make me think about those things. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely misfires in some areas. Yeah, for sure. Like one of the conversations that Scott is having with his dad. His dad's basically like, well, what you need to do is just overlook all the wrong things that Pete does and accept him for who he is. Mm-hmm. Not great advice. But the message that he's trying to tell behind that is... From you know, who is otherwise perhaps the soundest character. Yeah, right. right, yeah. In the movie. yeah. Uh, Scott's dad is probably my favorite character in the movie. Yeah, for, he sort of provides... He's like the moral compass of the whole... And the like he's got nom stories. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's a guy straight out of the 70s. He's oh, he has an got, antique car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. got like the bushy mustache, kind of longer hair. Oh, yeah. He, I, I wouldn't mind sitting down and having a brew with him. Yeah, yeah. Scott's dad, he seems like mm-hmm. he... He's just a rock. So he, he's one of my favorite characters. That character is maybe the only... Well, Pete's a good character, too. All of the other characters are kind of eh. Like, it's pretty... Like, mm-hmm. they're just... They're not characters. They're just mouthpieces for certain points of view. Right, yeah. But, I mean, the whole overall themes of, like, change and acceptance... Yeah. I can take some of it, but, like you said, it misfires. What, what's the next? Did it handle its material well? Uh, again, I, the gang material definitely. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. Real. Gritty depiction. Yeah, just gritty realism with the the gang parts. Spray painting smiley face. With and yeah. Seesaws. Breaking glass on the railroad tracks. Yeah. Just very violent behavior. So they, they got gangs right. I, I, I would say yes with the overall exception exception of Pete's drivenness to be bad yeah bridge that's the one part that i just thought was kind of like what well yeah uh, if we knew what happened in chicago yeah, that's yeah right point. yeah that's a good point. there would be an answer there i think but we don't know what happened in chicago no and so there's no we don't know why he is the way he is yeah and because the only hint they give us is that pete was arrested like just guilt by association he didn't actually steal anything or he didn't even know where his friends were when they stole, like... Uh, so Unless he was assigned to be lookout or something. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't seem like he knew that, though. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> the whole... Whatever scheme they came up with in Chicago at that point, it was... I don't, I don't think... The, the Blades might have still been in their genesis because they weren't very good at planning and scheming. No. Fashion-wise, though, they had it together. Pleated khakis, man. Leather jackets. Cowboy hats. Cowboy hats. Bandanas. The whole nine nine yards. Yeah. Should this movie have been made? Yeah, and again, I think they could have done some things differently to make it better, but that wasn't the story they were trying to tell. It's a cool concept. Yeah. yeah. It's it, uh, it almost turns it turns Footloose on its head. It's the, so this <laughs> I've never seen Footloose. Bad kid oh. comes from Chicago to Utah 
but instead of him changing the town, it's about the town trying to change. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is basically the Mormon version of Footloose. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think it. Yeah, it was when I was a kid. It was a good like I watched it so many times. Yeah, and I think it does raise good questions. And yeah, and when I was a kid, I just had no idea that it was misfiring. So yeah, it was like yeah, this was just the, the, a good movie. Yeah, when you were a kid. Yeah. and a lot of our appreciation for it now is definitely the nostalgia. Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, we didn't even talk about the song. Yeah. So there's this song. Oh, you've heard the song if you listen to the podcast because part of it is the intro. Mm-hmm. This song, Dreams of a Better Day. Which plays two or, at least for, there's three montages, at least two of the montages, this is the song that's in the background. And as with Friendship's Field, this song just fires all of the emotional, like... All cylinders, baby, all cylinders. It it wants you to feel things, and you feel them when you hear this song. Yeah, yeah, the song is called Dreams of a Better Day. Day. Yeah, which is the title of this podcast. Um, and that song's on YouTube, so look it up and listen to it because it's a great song, and it just it nails the emotional impact that this movie wants you to feel. Yeah, and it, it does it really oh, well. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that that's another big part that it, mm-hmm. like when I hear this that song start to play, it just transports me back in time yeah. to watching this movie as a kid. Yeah. Who would you recast? It's the '90s, so instead of the guy who played Pete. Kirk Cameron could have played Pete in this movie. Can't we say Kevin Bacon as Pete? That's true. No. Okay. Yeah. We could have had Kevin Bacon. He started in Footloose, Ben. Yeah, I, I assumed that. <laughs> I was thinking older Kirk Cameron as the pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could have worked. I feel like Scott's dad, if you just grabbed like some like uh, Charles Bronson yeah. or somebody like that. Oh, who's that? An actor. He's in the Big Lebowski. He's just like the token cowboy. Oh, Sam Elliott. Yeah, I Sam Elliott. <laughs> yeah, I think I would cast Sam the, Elliott. The mustache. Yeah, yeah, right. That would be great. A fatter kid as Eldon. Yeah, yeah. Any, any. <laughs> just, I don't care who. Just <laughs> yeah. someone that actually fits the everyone's perception of Eldon. Yeah. If this movie were being remade, Chris Farley as Eldon. <laughs> <laughs> If this movie were being remade today, or, okay, not today, but like five, six years ago, mm-hmm. Emma Watson would be Margaret. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like, yeah. That would that would work. Uh, but I think that's about it for the recasts that I have. Did anything knock your socks off? I, just, the they, treats, the word treats. <laughs> yeah. They, they call, every time somebody's going to get anything sweet or savory from Mr. Graff's store, it's always, always treats. treats. We're going to go get some treats. Yeah. So that that ending scene. Maybe they're like a an underground currency within Elk Ridge or something. Yeah, treats. treats, yeah. But the ending scene with the like clear messages it sends that Pete is dead and the horrible way they punked Scott. It, that just blows me away every it, time it, I watch it. It's insanity. Yeah. I, like that I mean this is the, I mean the only moment in this movie where you could ever really compare it with like little piece of heaven. But just, I mean, the insanity of it. This scene, I think, you know, it's, you know, playing a little bit on the line between, you know, Christian movie and a little piece of heaven. <laughs> yeah, so that that is probably what knocked my socks off. Would you watch it again? Yes, I will. I will. Absolutely. 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 Watch Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would you recommend it? Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. absolutely. Yep. I don't want to say it 
so a lot of it has to do with the nostalgia, like I said. But it's not just that. Because this is a movie where you can watch it as an adult, and you'll have the nostalgia still the next time you come and watch it. Yeah. Like, it's an instant classic. Yeah. And it's not even like a so bad that it's good kind of nostalgia. Like mm-hmm. You're not watching this like you would watch Troll 2 to make fun of it. Right. It's just a, a fun movie, and I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. It's just fun. Yeah, recommend it. Yep. Watch it. I think that's that for the Buttercream Gang. Well... I do want to talk about... Okay. So, we, we've hinted at this before on earlier episodes that you and I have gone on some deep, dark rabbit trails related to these kinds of movies. Yeah. Looking up directors and what yeah. other work they've done and things like that. And one of the things that I found was that Bruce Nybar, the director of this movie, and he co-wrote the screenplay of this mm-hmm. movie... He was not involved in the sequel to The Buttercream Gang. No, not at all. Clearly. One of the other... The, the guy who produced Buttercream Gang actually did produce the sequel. Yeah, and so, he was the co-writer on Yeah, our movie. theory is that uh, the director and the producer had... Like a creative differences. Creative differences. And so uh, Bruce Nybar, who is the director of The Buttercream Gang, decided not to be affiliated with... The trashy sequel. Yeah, he had nothing to do with mm-hmm. him. But one of the things when I was just looking up information about him, I noticed there was this other movie he did in the late 90s, I want to say 98, Yeah, called Both Sides of the Law. And the thing that jumped out to me about this movie is that Michael Weatherid, who plays Pete in The Buttercream Gang, is in it. And he's billed yeah, he, as Chicago, Chicago Pete. Pete. And so, you know, at this point, while I'm, you know, it's... Probably like two in the morning. I'm on my cell phone looking at IMDb, going down these rabbit trails of <laughs> random. It's so easy to get sucked in. Yeah, I see Chicago Pete, Michael Weatherid, Bruce Nybar. I'm like, is this Pete from the Buttercream yeah. Gang? Back from the dead? And so I went online to try to find both sides of the law. This movie's impossible to find. I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't even find pictures from it yeah. online. So I went onto eBay and I found this DVD set. Of 12 family movies on like six DVDs. They're literally double sided DVDs. Yeah. You put one in and play it, and then you flip it over for another movie. Was it, did you buy it from somewhere internationally? Yeah, I bought it from, from overseas. Like, is it Denmark or something like I that? I forget. I can't yeah. remember. But, but yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. So, so I bought it, and I throw the DVD into my computer, and it's so both sides of the laws, this movie about these two kids. I'm not going to review the whole thing, but I'll just give a quick synopsis. These two kids who are friends, one of them, his dad is a cop who gets killed, and these two kids kind of go their separate ways. They live in Chicago. They live in... No, they don't live in Chicago. They live in some other city. Oh. Um, and... And, uh, like, one of them joins a gang and the other one is helping the police take down gangs. It's got all of the Nybar kind of themes. There's baseball. Yeah. There's sermons where the kid gets convicted. There's a scene at a cemetery, which there's also in the Buttercream Gang. It's got music that's you know, tugs at the heartstrings. It's got real gangs. And the, the question of friendship. And in a cameo scene where the main character, who's also named Pete, which is a little confusing, is watching TV, there is this news segment that comes on the TV 
about this group of guys from Chicago, and they're part of a gang called the Better Paths Gang. And instead of doing typical gang, crime, violence, things like that, they're doing good things. And they have an interview with the the founder of the Better Paths Gang, and it's Chicago Pete yeah. playing Pete Turner from the Buttercream Gang in this other movie. And so he shows up a couple of times in Both Sides of the Law, as a like a moral guiding compass to the main character Pete to help him make the right decisions in dealing with this gang in his hometown. So I this is in my opinion like the true sequel to the Buttercream mm-hmm. Gang. It's her. like uh, a wholesome version of when Dharma and Greg appear as themselves on Two and a Half yeah, Men. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is going to mean nothing to most people no. who ever are interested in the Buttercream Gang. But it was fascinating to me. I had hoped that it was like a prequel and maybe we got to find out what happened to Pete yeah. in Chicago. It still never answers that question. But it is kind of a, a follow-up to Pete Turner, what he's doing now. Where are they now? And it goes along with the whole theme the Buttercream Gang is trying to convey, like, don't worry about their past. Because like even that movie, we don't, it, it still doesn't answer the question what happened in Chicago. Yeah. It just shows you who Pete is now. Yeah. So... It's, it's a fun movie. It's very much like The Buttercream Gang. I actually enjoyed watching yeah. it. I, did we watch it together? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's fun. Um, but so there's that. We we do have a sequel that involves Pete Turner in Chicago now. So yeah. just, just a little tidbit there. Um, do, is that, was that it for The Guiding Yeah, Gang? that's it for The Guiding all Questions. Right. And I think that's it for The Buttercream Gang. Yeah. So uh, If you all have any questions or comments, you can email us at betterdaypodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at BetterDayCast. We're also on Twitter or on Instagram as uh, Better Day Podcast. And any just any questions or comments about this movie? Yeah. So I guess the question we can ask for this episode is, have you ever been involved with a real gang? Yeah. And what turned around? Like, how did how did that turn around for you? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll leave that question up to you. Please communicate with us. We love getting communication from you all, lovely people. And I guess... Oh, also, email us and let us know if you ever had a crush on one of your uh, parents when you were a little kid. We still want to know the answer to that. And that's all we got. Hang loose. <laughs> yeah. You're busted. <laughs>